You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. The struggle that I've had is that it seems like the Holy Spirit is often the missing person from church, right? So, if you were around in the 80s or maybe the kind of the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, you probably saw on your table at some point a carton of milk with the pictures of children's faces on them, right? Is this familiar? Or if you didn't have those on your table, I think this is part of our culture enough that you tend to recognize that, right? And these were an effective tool, these milk cartons, for helping to disseminate information about children who are missing and for helping to get the word out and to spread it. Uh, the, the thing, of course, that replaced this was the Amber Alerts. And so we now get those messages on our phones, and it's, and it's allowed us to help find uh, children who are missing a lot quicker. Um, and they don't have a lot of statistics. I looked it up this week. They don't have a lot of statistics to know how successful that program was. Um, but I thought it was a great step towards helping to make us aware of the things and especially the people who are missing. And, and so as I thought about this particular series, I realized that someone is missing from our worship services, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, not that the Holy Spirit is not here, but that we tend to miss it. And when I say that, here's what I think. I think we spend a lot of time in church, and we spend a lot of time either as a follower of Jesus, or or if you're not a Christian or wouldn't say that, you probably have a good sense of how God the Father was active, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, right? You might know a story or two, and you know that that the God of the Israelites was who we call God the Father, right? So we've got stories and accounts of who That was and and how God acted in those parts of history. Uh, And we've got great examples in the New Testament of the second person of God, which is Jesus Christ. We've got the stories of what he did and who he was and how he lived. Uh, And earlier this year, we spent a lot of time talking about what Jesus did, what he said, how he lived. We know those two, but sometimes it feels to me like the third person of the Trinity is more like the third wheel of God, right? You know what the third wheel is, right? That's the person where you're, if you're on the date with someone else, that's the brother who wants to tag along on the date, right? Or the friend who kind of comes along too, and, and they're there, and you're working on this connection between you and the other person across the table, and there's a third wheel. Sometimes it feels to me like the Holy Spirit is the third wheel, and we're just not sure what to do with the Spirit or how to talk about Him. And I've seen this in a powerful example in how worship stages are designed currently. Uh, I just snagged four pictures from four different churches that I found online, and it has become a popular way to kind of decorate your church, to put in giant lighted letters behind where you're preaching or or doing music the name Jesus. And I think that's great because it lifts up the name of Jesus. It, It kind of proclaims like this is who we're about but I've never seen anyone put up like a giant sign that says like the Father, right, in lights, you know, or like Spirit in lights. And so we've got these examples of what it looks like, and especially this one down here at the bottom, always only Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, always only Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, we're also believers in the three persons of God. And unfortunately, I think what happens is we're leaving someone out. Now, this morning, I'm not just going to uh, pick on as you might think, uh, modern churches. We can see this in how we do church in a more traditional 
or more established setting, uh, because at the front of almost every church and every church that I've served that is established, we've had a cross. Uh, And if you're from the Catholic faith, you would have a crucifix with Jesus on it. If you come from a more Protestant tradition, you would have an empty cross, something like this. Now, I'm not advocating that we don't have crosses in the front of church, right? The sermon series would be going like somewhere else really quick, right? Uh, What I'm saying is that without using letters, we're putting another one up there to say Jesus, right? And to the extent that we have lifted high the name of Jesus as we should, what I'm afraid that we have done as the church is we have not lifted up as well the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think that one of the challenges is there's simply so much uh, theological diversity, or there's so many different ways that the faith has thought about who the Spirit is. On one hand, when someone says Holy Spirit, some of us go to this side and we think about uh, a more charismatic or more Pentecostal tradition. And so we think, well, if we're talking about that, are we talking about like, I've heard of like people speaking in other tongues or like someone like passes out in the front and falls over or some of these very um, external outward signs. Um, and, now, and when I came to faith, I was a part of a Pentecostal church. So um, I've got a lot of... Uh, belief in what they do, but, but for some people they can say, like, I don't know about that, right? And then on the other end, we have a very, there's only, no really good word for it, but we have churches who just say, like, we're not that, and we're way over here, so we really just don't talk much about the Spirit. And so it just kind of gets neglected. So it's either we're all about the Spirit, or we just don't know what to do with the Spirit, And it feels like we've kind of gone to either end of the spectrum without really knowing, well, there's got to be a better way to do this rather than making a person of God the third wheel. I believe the other challenge is that we have tangible stories of what Jesus did when he was alive. There are places in the world, in in Israel and in Galilee, where you can go and the tour guide can say to you, Jesus sat here. And you can say, oh, wow, I mean, I, I could see that Jesus sat here and you can feel, uh, you, you know, the holiness of that space. And you can get a sense of what his life might have looked like to, to walk these ancient roads and to experience these ancient things. We can see where Jesus walked and lived and made his life. We can hear the stories of faith and we can even see some examples of places that still exist in the world like Jericho where the Old Testament was written and talked about. But we just don't have those tangible markers for the Holy Spirit. And so I think because of that, it's just easier for us to say, well, we know these two people of God. And we'll just, you know, like loop that one in when we can. Well, uh, St. Basil, who was around in in the later 300s, had this to say. And I think it sums up some of our struggle pretty well. He wrote, whereas the incarnate Lord, which is Jesus is revealed in the flesh. The Spirit tends to be more unpretentiously concealed, hidden in the silent depths of the heart and in the quiet hedges of history. The incarnate Lord was seen, the word of life handled, touched, and personally addressed. This is Jesus we're talking about. When the Spirit moves, the mover is silent and invisible. So I think... 
one of the reasons why we struggle to, to articulate or to talk about the Spirit of God and why I feel like over the next couple of weeks it's, it's important for us to really dig into this is because the movement of the Spirit, I love these words, is unpretentiously concealed. Unpretentiously concealed. So God as Spirit chooses to remain quiet, to remain hidden, not to hide from us, but to work in ways that are much more subtle and that invite us to pay close attention to our life and to what's happening around us. But let's be honest, life gets busy, and I believe the busier and the more hurried we are, the harder for it is for us to see the Holy Spirit at work. But make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is at work around us and with us, and the greatness of the Spirit is now God is work in us, is at work in us, in me and in you. Maybe if you've had trouble with this, you might think, well, you know, how do I pray? Like, okay, so I can pray, uh, you know, uh, God, uh, dear Father, or, or something like that. Or I can say, oh, dear Jesus, or, or dear Lord, or like, uh, dear Spirit, right? We want to attach some other things to that. We want to attach a pronoun to it, or we don't want to say like, it. So I think our language around the Spirit has just been a struggle for us, too, uh, in the history of the church. So what's typically happened is that out of fear of speaking to God wrong in prayer or out of fear of speaking incorrectly about God in church, we've typically decided to just kind of put that piece over here and not worry so much about this part of God. Because right? we're, we're unsure and we don't want to get it wrong. Uh, so again, quoting another uh, early follower of Jesus, Cyril of Jerusalem, he said, not that we may speak what is worthy of him, for that is impossible, but that we may not fail to speak altogether. So in, in summary, in this sermon series, what I want us to do is to not get so caught up that what we say may not be worthy of the Holy Spirit of God. Because there's nothing that we could say that would be worthy of summarizing all that God is. So what I want us to embrace over these next couple of weeks is to explore how we might not fail altogether to speak, how we might find language and ways to better commune and connect with the Holy Spirit and to better be aware of the Spirit's work in your life and in my life. And so as we think about how the Spirit uh, is missing for a couple of different reasons and, and ultimately how the Spirit is found, I want to share with you a story from Scripture about a time when the Spirit was missing and when it was found. So if you'd like to follow along, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 19 this morning, beginning in verse 1 through 8. Uh, you can follow along if you'd like by visiting our, our digital bulletin today at citrus.org. Uh, so in the book of Acts, which happened after Jesus uh, rose from the dead, after the early church had begun to be established, and after Paul converted to Christianity, uh, he's out touring the world and welcoming new believers and sharing the faith. And so it picks up there. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took a route through the interior and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came to believe? They replied, We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And then he said, What baptism did you receive then? And they answered, John's baptism. Paul explained, John baptized with the baptism by which people showed they were changing their hearts and lives. 
It was a baptism that told people about the one who was coming after him. This is the one in whom they were to believe. This one is Jesus. After they listened to Paul, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking other languages and prophesying. Altogether, there were about 12 people. Paul went to the synagogue and spoke confidently for the next three months. And so there's an interesting story that happens here where uh, these new disciples, they're called disciples, had become believers. And Paul expects to show up and to know that they've received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and that they are living their life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're saying, the Holy what? Like, we didn't, we didn't get that memo. We didn't get that little packet. You know, when we, when we prayed the prayer and chose to believe, like, that didn't show up in our mail. We didn't get the Holy Spirit. Uh, so Paul is trying to figure out what exactly was missed in that teaching. And he's trying to help them correct it. Uh, and it's not included up here. I, didn't, I forgot to add it. But in verse 8, there's this part here that says, Paul went to the synagogue and spoke confidently for the next three months. So Paul essentially brings up a three-month sermon series about the Holy Spirit and about the things that these disciples who were now believers in Jesus had missed in their orientation session. So he's trying to help them catch up. And it it is important to me that he took three months to do that because it shows us that Paul knew that they needed instruction, that learning takes time, it takes immersion, and that he spent time with them to make sure that they really had a sound, reasoned faith. He spent time with them. And so we won't go three months. We could easily, I'm sure. Uh, We'll take the next five weeks, the month of June, to talk more about the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And just by chance, uh, because this isn't just about me, if you've got a question about the Holy Spirit, or you said, like, I've always wondered this, or I've heard someone say that, write that on an orange card and share that later in the offering. I'd love to make sure that if you have a question, that we can try our best to answer that. Um, I don't have the answers, but the Holy Spirit's with us, and my hunch is the Holy Spirit can help answer questions about the Holy Spirit itself. And I think that what I just said gets at the struggle that we're facing. The Holy Spirit self, right? I could have said the Holy Spirit as male, right? I could have said the Holy Spirit as female. I'm struggling to attach a pronoun, and maybe you have too. So sometimes we just end up saying it. Uh, But the Spirit has been described in many different ways. Uh, And for example, in the Old Testament, when they talk about the Holy Spirit, the word that they use Uh, is a really fun word. We've said it before a few times. I love saying it. It's ruach. And the more you can get it down in your throat, the better. Like, say that one with me. Ruach. Give me that one again. Ruach. Yeah. That's that's fun to say. I enjoy saying that one. Uh, And that shows up in the earliest part of the Old Testament. And when we say the word ruach, it's the word spirit, breath, wind. And interestingly enough, when that word is used in the Old Testament, it's most often in the feminine form. So, for example, we see God compared to, as we do in Isaiah, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you in Jerusalem. You will be comforted. 
So we see, at least in the Old Testament, that when the word is used for spirit, the spirit of God, it's used in the feminine form. And so that makes us say, okay. So just because we want to jump over the New Testament too, when the same word is used in the New Testament, more often than not, it takes the male form. I'm just trying to make sure we're thoroughly confused together on this, right? So pneuma is the same word in the Greek, and it also means wind, breath, and spirit, or with the capital letter there, the Holy Spirit. And more often than not, it's given uh, masculine, or it's, sorry, it's, it, more often than not, it's given a neuter form. Sometimes it has a masculine kind of format on it. Uh, as English speakers, we don't really have much of this, but for anyone who's taken a foreign language, especially uh, Spanish, we understand how there are different pronouns that can attach to it to help us to see the gender of the word. And so an example of that would be here from John 16, where it says, However, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth. He, the Spirit, won't speak on His own, but will say whatever He hears and will proclaim to you what is to come. And so we might say, okay, well, maybe in the Old Testament that's that, in the New Testament it's this. Uh, So just to further kind of throw this into the mix, Grammatical gender, as we use grammatical gender in our language, in our speech, here in this, is not a good way of comparing to say how God is or isn't male or female, right? So just because there's a grammatical gender attached to the Spirit doesn't necessarily assign one gender to the Holy Spirit. And I think this matters because what it says to us is that we don't have to try to ascribe male or female to it, that the spirit is more fluid than that. And so if anything, I think I've probably just made this a lot harder for you because now you're like, well, now I don't know how to talk to the spirit. At least before I was using something. But what I want us to see is that in the same way that God revealed God's self as a father and as the father of Jesus Christ and as the word came into the world and took on human flesh and did that in the form of a male and Jesus We recognize that God reveals God's self in this way, but that God stands above and outside the gender descriptions that you and I usually think of. And the Spirit is the best example of this this fluidity of God that it becomes difficult for us to nail down. So if you're thoroughly confused, I think that's great because hopefully we can find a way forward together. Uh, Because Scripture does give us a set of symbols that help us to understand the Holy Spirit. In fact, the work of the Spirit leaves footprints everywhere. It leaves traces and signs and symbols. And these are best expressed uh, not in the ways that we might have used for Jesus or for God as Father, uh, but these are often, like the Holy Spirit, a lot more hidden and harder to see. But when the Spirit reveals itself, it tends to do that through these symbols. And so through the course of history, we've seen the Spirit show up as wind, as fire, as water, and as a dove, wind and water and fire and a dove. And I feel like I'm summoning Captain Planet. If anybody watched that cartoon from like the 90s, right? But this is how the quiet, unpretentious Holy Spirit has chosen to reveal itself. And we see this first as we think about the Spirit as invisible wind. And this shows up in the very beginning of the Bible We'll talk about John 3, 8, but the first place we see this is in the first chapter of Genesis, the front of the book, the introduction, 
chapter, verse 2, chapter 1. And it says that the Ruach, remember that word, the Ruach, the breath, the wind of God, which is the Holy Spirit, hovered above the chaos of the waters and began to bring order to the world through that. And so what we see in the beginning is God as spirit hovering over the chaos of creation and ordering things together and shaping them up and making things come together in such a way that it made sense. And so we see this again in the third chapter of John. When John writes, God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or, or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And so this description of the Spirit as invisible wind is a reminder to us of the mystery of the wind. Right? You and I understand the science behind wind, we, but we also realize that if there's a feather in your hand, it takes the smallest breath to move that feather. That's wind, that's breath. And that same thing, that same wind, that same breath is able to topple giant trees in nature through a windstorm, right? That the same wind is able to move the vastness of the ocean. Right? So, so you and I, maybe we don't understand fully what wind is about, but we understand how wind works, how it moves from somewhere to somewhere else. We can't really see it coming, can't really see it going. In the same way, the Spirit is like this. The Spirit, we may not be able to tell where it's coming from or where it's going next, but we can see its effects in small ways in our life as we pay attention. Sometimes we can see it in strong ways, in large ways. And, and so this morning, what I want to do is share four of the different ways that the Spirit shows up as elements throughout Scripture and throughout history. And, and as I highlight these four, what I want to invite you to do is to ask yourself the question, in which way at this time in my life, at this season, do I need to receive the Spirit? How is the Spirit working? Where do I need to see the Spirit? And so when I think about this first one, what I think about is a Spirit that moves people. And we are a community of people who are moving to this area, who are locating here at this time. And if you haven't just come here recently, you've probably only been here for a few more years. And so we think about the Spirit of God, which is blowing us, and maybe we move for a job or we move to find any number of different things, but what I want you to see is it's the Holy Spirit who is moving with us. It's not the mover who loaded our moving truck or carried things up three flights of stairs as much as we wish the Spirit would do that for us sometimes. But I want you to see for those who are moving here that this is God present with you in the midst of a massive change. But I also think this is the same spirit that as we move on to other places is also going with us. And so you might be coming here, but as the natural cycle is, you might also be leaving from here. And so I want you to know that this is the same invisible wind that is blowing behind you and that will carry with you until you arrive at your new place. It's the same spirit with you here that will be with you there that will help you in settling in those new places also. When I think of the Spirit as invisible wind, I also think of that nudge that we sometimes feel, and we don't really know how to describe it. Maybe you see someone in need, 
or you see an opportunity to help someone, it, and there's just that, that sense that is hard to really put your finger on that, that almost pushes you to help someone else or says, hey, there's someone. I believe that's the invisible wind of the Spirit nudging us towards someone who needs help or needs comfort or just needs a friend or a listening ear. We don't always recognize it because of the subtleness of the Spirit, but it's that gentle breath that pushes us towards those that God knows needs a tangible person in that moment. It's also the same Spirit that sometimes in our life when, for a number of reasons, we need something more than a gentle nudge in the right direction, we need like a full-out push. I mean, there's been times in my life where like a gentle nudge would not have moved me to where God needed me to go. And I needed like a hurricane force wind to get me there. And those are, those are kind of humorous to think about. But I want to acknowledge that those are often very uncomfortable times in our life. Because it means that we are being pushed in a very almost forceful way into a direction that God is leading us. And it may not be comfortable. It may not be what we preferred. But if we can recognize that it's the Spirit of God who is moving us and that God is always desiring to lead us closer to God's self, we can see grace in that. So maybe that's what you need today to receive is the Spirit as invisible wind. Uh, Or maybe it's the Spirit as refreshing water. We talked a little bit about this last week. This one comes up in John 7, 37. And it says, on the last and the most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted, All who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scripture said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from him. Jesus said this concerning the Spirit. Those who believed in him would soon receive the Spirit, but they hadn't experienced the Spirit yet since Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. And so in this one, we see Jesus compare the Spirit to this, to this rushing water. And of course, elementally, we know water is, is the source of life. It's the element of life. We may not think we can, but we can go for a while without food. We can't go for long without water. And so if anything, this one invites us to times of refreshment. So if you feel like you're going through a dry season or a particularly parched season, if you feel stretched or worn out or stressed or just pulled in a lot of different directions and you would describe yourself as dry, maybe, maybe as dusty, maybe your life feels like it's parched. It's an invitation to experience the Spirit as refreshing water flowing into your life. <laughs> and we can resonate with this because like how about that, this last week with the heat, Right? Like, I keep looking out every single day thinking, like, for my poor grass, like, please, Lord, send the refreshing water. Like, my grass can't take it anymore. It's got shallow roots, you know? We've got dry patches in, like, our neighborhood and in our yard uh, because of the way the grass has grown. We need some spirit as refreshing water, right? And if nothing else, to wash the love bugs off the car. Amen. That's that's what we're talking about when when the spirit breaks in like that. It brings life. And it cools things down. I think it's the same reason, maybe you do this too. We, I don't have a boat. Uh, if anybody would love to donate one, I'd be happy to take one. I don't have any re- We're not going to use it for ministry. I just want a boat. It'd be fun. Um, but anytime I get onto a boat, I love that so much. And as soon as we get going across the water, I, I have this sense of, ah, 
Right? Those of you with a boat or those of you who've been on that, do you get that sense too? It's like all of a sudden you get out there on the water and you're on a boat and you're moving and it's just like, ah. I think that's the feeling of the Spirit when we've been in a dry, busy place and we get out and we see water and it brings refreshment to our life. So if you feel like that's what this season has looked like for you or that's where you're at, this might be the way that you need to receive the Holy Spirit today. Or maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe it's like the Spirit as purging fire. Uh, So, of course, light and fire and radiance and brightness are common ways of describing the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in particular more in the coming weeks. Uh, But there's this beautiful passage in Malachi chapter 3 when it says, He, speaking of God, will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. They will belong to the Lord, presenting a righteous offering. And what's being described there is the process of how elements like gold and silver are refined. And so, of course, when, when gold and silver come out in their raw forms, they have minerals and they have other kinds of things. They have, they have lots of other stuff in them before they turn into to jewelry or to precious objects. And the way that they are refined is by heating them to an extreme temperature so that the gold or the silver melts and the impurities, the minerals, the other stuff in it is separated. And they call it the dross. And they separate that part out and they continue that process of heating it up, separating out the elements until they have pure gold, pure silver. And as an example for us, It's a reminder that sometimes the Spirit's work in our life is heating up our life in such a way where the impurities are coming to the top and God can scoop those things off. Now, sometimes it's easy to talk about receiving the refreshment of the Holy Spirit in our life because that feels good. It's harder to talk about the places in our life that God is still working on us and the places in our life that God says, we need to work on that area or that attitude or that perspective. Because often what it means is that it'll heat up the circumstances in our life and it'll bring things to the surface that we'd rather not talk about and rather not deal with and rather not other people see. But God does that so that God can scoop those things away and make us more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as uncomfortable as this particular place is, I'm certain that there's some of us this morning, probably myself included, who need to have things burned off or removed, or consumed, so that fresh space can be created for the Holy Spirit to work, so that our lives can more reflect the example of Jesus Christ as he lived in the world. There's a a Christian recovery program. It's kind of the equivalent to the 12-step program called Celebrate Recovery. And their basic premise is that all of us have uh, three things, three H's in our lives probably. We have hurts, we have habits, we have hang-ups. And I've always resonated with that because a lot of people will say, like, I don't need a 12-step recovery group. Like, I'm not in that. Or, or I know people who are, and that's not me. What I appreciate about Celebrate Recovery is it says everybody's got some stuff we need to work on. We all have hurts. We all have habits. We all have hang-ups. And the idea of the Spirit is purging fire is God is working with those hurts, with those habits, with those hang-ups, any of those things that would keep us from drawing closer to God. And he's trying to find a way to remove them. 
so that we can more purely be in relationship with God through Jesus. So if you're there, it's not a comfortable place to be, but know that it's an intense place that God is working with you and that God can be trusted to bring you out of that. The fourth place this morning, the last place, the way that God is described, is as a peaceful dove. The Spirit as peaceful dove. And we looked at this a little bit last week in Matthew 3.16. When Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water. Heaven was opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove. I was pointing to the answer, so if anybody wanted to feel like super smart, you got it. Good job. Uh, and resting on him. So when Jesus is baptized, the Spirit of God comes down like a dove. So it takes on this form of a dove to rest upon Jesus. And when you think of doves in the Bible, maybe you think back to the story in the Old Testament of the ark, Noah's ark. And even if you have like a, a very kind of basic understanding of that, you're going to follow along with this. We remember that after the flood, right, Noah was looking out the window, and what, what kind of animal was he looking for? It's, just go ahead and say it so you can kind of like, like he was looking for a dove. Good job. Oh, good job. Everybody. That's right. yeah. uh, he was looking for a dove to return and to bring back an olive branch. That's kind of a sign that the waters had receded and that there was life again on earth. And so as early, all the early Christian art, kind of pre-300s, uh, before a lot of things changed. So after Jesus, before the year 300, the art that was painted in those times or, or, or created in those times, the dove was often used as a symbol for peace. A symbol for peace. And it's a reminder to us that the Holy Spirit comes when we choose to believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Spirit comes to live inside of you and me. And it's the spirit of the dove that brings peace. And so perhaps you're in a season right now where life inside of you or even around you feels chaotic and disorderly and all kinds of mixed up. And the spirit of God that you need to receive is the spirit as a peaceful dove to come into your life and to rest in there and to bring God's peace. God's peace that doesn't necessarily fix everything right away as we'd like for it to, but gives us a sense of peace in the midst of the turmoil or the storm that's raging around us. So I'd like to ask you this morning, in which way can you tell yourself that you need to receive the Holy Spirit? When Paul visited those early disciples, uh, the key question that he had for them, the thing that he didn't ask, was, how were you baptized? He got to that later. He asked them how they were baptized later. The first question that he had was, did you receive the Spirit? So what he wanted to know at the beginning was, are you open to, are you filled with, are you being guided by the power of the Holy Spirit? And the disciples were like, we haven't even heard that there is such a thing. And so he spends time teaching them about it so that they can grow in their faith and so that they can receive the Spirit that they need in that time. And, and so... There's this interesting idea, and the idea comes from uh, Dr. Frank Crouch. He's a seminary professor. And he, he suggests that suppose Paul returns a year later and asks them the same question. 
So Paul spent three months with them. He moved on. He shared the gospel with others. He returns a year later and supposedly asks them again, hey, did you receive the Spirit? And they're like, oh, yeah, we did. Remember last year when you came and, like, the Spirit came down? And, we were, man, we were talking to other languages. We were doing all kinds of things. It was really like, look, like, we got the Facebook memory to prove it. Like, we took a selfie. You were there, Paul. It was all of us. We received the Spirit, right? My hunch is Paul would say, but what has the Spirit of God been doing in you since that day? That's great that when you believed and came to faith that the Spirit of God came to rest in you. What have you done since that period to allow the Spirit to continue to work and shape you into the image of Jesus Christ? What have you been doing and how are you allowing that to work? Because it's great that you could speak in all those foreign languages and those different tongues at that time. But what Paul would have been interested to see was how they were allowing more and more control from God in their lives. And I think that's a great question for us today. If you've been a believer, a follower of Jesus for a long time, what is the Spirit doing in you or trying to do in you now? How is the Spirit trying to work? If you've never made a profession of faith or never uh, offered your life over to Jesus, it might be that for today you can choose to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior and make that decision and begin to see what life looks like with the Spirit. But for all of us, no matter where we are on that spectrum, the invitation is to continue in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift that God gave to believers and to the church so that we could live as followers of Jesus. God's work in us in the Holy Spirit didn't end a long time ago with the disciples. It didn't end in the Bible. The Spirit is the presence of God with us, but the Spirit is unpretentious. And so it takes us paying attention and being open and carving out time and creating space for God to work. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.